If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, new chapter, verses 1 through 3. Even though it is a new chapter, it is a continuation of the same theme from the previous chapter. So let's not miss that context. Always know that the chapters that we have, the divisions that we have in our our Bibles are not uh, original to the Greek. There were no chapters or verses. He's continuing on the same train of thought. So let's keep that in mind. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, based upon everything he said prior, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray together. Father, we ask again for your help as we read your word together. We pray, Father, that we would know that our sustenance, our endurance, our strength, our hope comes from the very word of God. There's nowhere else we can go. Uh, You alone have the words of life. Lord, help us to treat it as such. Help us to meditate upon your word this day, to chew upon it throughout the week, and continue to walk by faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. For those of you who are considering running in a marathon anytime soon, anybody? There are a whole host of men and women to look up to, if you will, of the accomplishments that they've made. There's much to admire in their training and their strength and certainly their endurance through 26.2 miles. But if you want to put up anyone's poster on your wall, if you will, to motivate you in your training to go through that horrible ordeal, then you might want to choose the Kenyan runner, and I hope I can pronounce his name somewhat correctly, Eliud Kipchoge. You familiar with this guy? He is the winner of the last two Olympic marathons, which is a rare feat. Uh, Both in 2016 and in 2020, he took home the gold. Uh, Additionally, he holds the world record for runtime in a marathon of two hours, one minute, and 39 seconds, which he earned at the 2018 Berlin Olympics. And his unofficial record that took place in Vienna, Austria, he actually broke the two-hour mark. First time ever, he came in at one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds, which is a pace of about four minutes, 35 seconds per mile. I can't even do a half a mile in that time, and he does 26 miles at that pace. Amazing. Clearly, by far, he is the greatest runner of all time. If you want to follow someone, follow him. Well, throughout the previous chapter of Hebrews, chapter 11, we've seen one image after another after another of men and women who endured great suffering, who went through much persecution, who persevered in their faith and kept to the course. But when we finally get to Hebrews chapter 12, all of those runners are now standing on the sidelines, if you will, 
and are looking at those who are now beginning to run their race as Christians, and they're cheering us on, encouraging us, showing us as a testimony to faithfulness in Christ Jesus what it looks like to run the race. But there's still one runner that the author of Hebrews wants you to look at and to consider. And he brings, at this point, our attention to the goat, the greatest of all time. What he accomplished in his race had never been done before and will never be done ever again. Jesus Christ ran the perfect race. He obeyed the Lord perfectly in everything, always running by faith in the promises of God. We don't always think of Christ walking or running by faith, but everything he did, he also had to do by faith in the word of the Father, looking to the future, even though he couldn't see it clearly in the presence, in the present, in the midst of his suffering. But you see, all those that were mentioned in the previous chapter, they didn't always run by faith. They didn't always walk even by faith. If you look at just some of the names briefly that we had mentioned uh, in the last chapter, Gideon, for instance, if you remember when we first see him in the book of Judges, he's hiding from the enemy. He's not fighting. When we look at Barak, he has to be encouraged and refuses to go into battle unless Deborah goes with him because he's so scared. He's not walking by faith. Abraham twice told people that his wife was his sister because he was afraid of men. And then we see Moses struck the rock in anger because he took lightly the commands of God, did not keep God's word by faith, but rather sometimes in fear and in his flesh. All of these fell far short of God's glory. All of these did not run a good race. They finished the race, but nothing like what Jesus did. And in fact, when we talked about a few weeks ago about Jesus standing on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah and Moses. And if you remember, the Shekinah glory cloud appears and all of a sudden it over and envelops them. And you, you can't see them anymore. All of a sudden from that cloud you hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my son. With him I am well. Please listen to him. And then all of a sudden Moses and Elijah disappear. The only person left standing is Jesus. And the whole point of that is to help even the disciples to see whoever you thought Moses was, whoever you thought Elijah was, they're nothing in comparison to the Son of God. There's no comparison. Jesus far outshines them all. And so what we're seeing over and over again in the book of Hebrews is that all of these Old Testament heroes, all these Old Testament heroes of the book of Hebrews are now fading out of our sight. They're on the sidelines the only person that's before us is the bright, shining Son of God who ran the perfect race. Just as the large sign that reads out, that I'm still very proud of, by the way, the large sign out in the, in the foyer that says, Jesus is greater. That's the whole point of the book of Hebrews, that he is greater than Abraham. He's greater than Jacob. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. That's why he is the goat, the greatest of all time. You have heard that term now, right? I don't mean that uh, sacrilegiously. He is the number one runner outrunning all others by far. His jersey has been retired in every stadium around the world for every generation to come. No one will ever, ever be able to pick up his mantle and run with it. 
ever. He is the only perfect runner. But that doesn't mean, though, that then there's no race for us to run. And it's very important that we get that. I think a lot of times in the church, we focus on the gospel so closely that sometimes we forget there is a a part of sanctification that also applies here. Now, how does this work out in our lives? Even though none of us will ever run a race even close to the one that Jesus did, we're still commanded to run the same manner in which he did. And so we're told to do that by looking at him as our example, as our motivation, as our strength, as our confidence to keep our eyes on him the whole time in order that we might finish the race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, the Apostle Paul, using the same race analogy, he says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one obtains the prize? So run that you may obtain it. And our text this morning is basically showing us how, how to do that. How do we run in such a way that we might finish the race and obtain the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus? Here are the three things that we must do in order to obtain our eternal inheritance, our reward. First, we must remove anything that hinders our forward progress. Anything. Second, we must run with endurance the race that is before us. And third, we must regard Jesus continually, not only as our example, but as the founder and perfecter of our faith. And we'll flesh that out here in a minute. But let's start with removing all obstacles, all hindrances from our forward progress. Verse 1, the author says, Let us lay aside every weight in order to run a good race. I think you know that in ancient times, athletes didn't have Under Armour apparel that we have today or any other skin-tight clothing that is marketed regularly in sports stores today. So, originally in the Olympic Games, the runners divested themselves of clothing altogether. I think we forget that. The original Olympics, they were running naked. In fact, most sports were done in the nude because that got rid of every hindrance and they could do what they needed to do. We, in fact, I think it's funny because our, our English word gymnasium comes from the Greek word, which basically means to exercise naked. You didn't know that, did you? You'd never want to go to gym ever again. Paul is obviously not suggesting that we all go all natural. But rather, his point is that we are meant to remove anything, discard anything that tries to cling to us that hinders us from any forward progress. Example, the firefighter Lloyd Scott is a famous... uh, charity runner for marathons. He's run a number of them. He's a crazy guy. He's well known for wearing a 130-pound antique deep-sea diving suit when he runs marathons. In 2002, he set the record for the slowest marathon time ever, completing the race in five days, eight hours, 29 minutes, and 46 seconds a lot more, a lot longer than the average runtime of four and a half hours. If you're wanting to know what the average runner does, four and a half hours to run a marathon. He took five days, eight hours, and some change. If you want to win, obviously he didn't, 
you have to discard anything that would hinder you from running clearly. So in this case, the way the writer's presenting it, he's, he's saying it's almost as if some of us, when we're trying to run the race of Christianity, it's like we have chains wrapped all around our bodies. And, and, and they're heavy chains, clinging tightly to us that are hindering us from forward progress. Or in another case, it could be as if we're having someone ride piggyback around our neck, clinging tightly to us again, some burden that we refuse to discard that's slowing us down that will not allow us to, to continue on because you, you're not going to be able to carry that kind of weight for long. Now, for some Christians, for some runners, that might be something of a, you know, just straight-out sin, some overconsumption of alcohol, some pornography, some gluttony or gambling or lust, envy, laziness, lying, hate. I mean, there's the, the list goes on and on. His point in this particular case, though, is the sin that clings so closely. He's not referring to some generic sin, but rather a sin that's very particular to you as an individual. A, what would might be referred to as a besetting sin or even a bosom sin. In other words, it's a sin that you continue to turn to rather than turning to Christ in freedom and in joy and running race. He's saying whatever that is, whatever that's hindering you, lay that aside so that you can run as you ought. But in addition, notice he's, he's not just referring to sin. There are also many other things that can hinder us or distract us from running in the race. For many, it might be a, a little bit too much time spent on social media. I think the younger generations have more and more just sucked into that to where they spend so much time on that they don't even have time to think about Christ. Some of our older folks might be so wrapped up in politics and watching and reading the news way too much to where you cannot focus on Christ because you're so angry about everything that's happening in our world today. How often does that happen? Some of you might be binge-watching television way too much, show after show after show, listening just to worldly music that does not make you think, but that makes you think of anything other than Christ. Some of you are so into sports. Don't even come to church. Once a month, maybe, if that. Because sports are your life, not Christ. Some of you are so wrapped up in your career and your family that, that Christ always gets second place. He says, whatever it is that keeps you from running your race, set it aside, or else you'll never make it. Sometimes, though, it's not necessarily a thing that hinders us. Sometimes it's a person. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, Paul said to the believers there, he said, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Somehow someone had got in your way and has distracted you. Sometimes it's a friendship. Sometimes it's associations with worldly people that hinder our race. We may need to separate ourselves from them in order to focus more clearly on Christ. Not because they've caused us to sin, but merely because they can't encourage us. They only discourage us from even thinking about Christ. There's an interesting passage. Second. Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul compares the Christian life to being a soldier, a farmer, and an athlete. And I think you can apply all the principles to each of these, but basically in the one in reference to the soldier, he says this, no soldier 
gets entangled in civilian pursuits or occupations since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. In other words, someone can get so wrapped up in what's referred to as civilian or worldly affairs that he no longer even knows what his commander has commanded him. He's lost sight of his calling because he's so wrapped up in things that he's not even called to do. And yet, that's what's happened. Now, most of you know that the Apostle Paul remained single throughout his life so that he could focus on his race and to run with the best of his ability. And at times, he even told some of the believers, for instance, the believers in Corinth at a particular moment, he said, it would be better for you to remain single at this time so that you can devote yourself completely to pleasing the Lord and not being distracted by the anxieties of the world that come along with having a spouse. So he, he's wishing for them to have no distractions in their life so that they can run their race well. But nevertheless, he says some of you will want to marry anyway, and, and he doesn't want them to burn with passion. And so he tells them that if you so choose to marry, you need to marry someone in the Lord, someone strong in the Lord, someone who can encourage you in your walk with the Lord, someone who runs with you. If not, then they're only going to drag you down and hinder you in that sense. Now, of course, Paul wasn't suggesting that if you have a spouse that's an unbeliever, or if you have a spouse who doesn't run well, that you need to go home and have a talk with them and, and say, hey, look, let's be honest, you're dead weight. You know, you're, you're slowing me down. We've got to cut ties. Let's move on. He's not saying that at all, but he is saying, look what happens when you choose to do that. You're distracted. You're weighed down. You're hindered. You can't seek the Lord. Make sure you choose good. Choose well when you have to choose those types of relationships. But especially when it comes to friendships and other associations that you're not bound by God to keep. Why would you continue to be with that person if you know they can't encourage you in your running? They don't even want to run themselves. And they think you're crazy for running. If you're not influencing them to run, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to discourage you from going forward. He says, lay aside all of these things. And even when it comes to certain people in a very kind and loving way, make sure that you're not spending too much time being distracted from the race. Then secondly, in addition to laying aside those things that hinder, he also says that we need to run with endurance the race that is set before us. It only makes sense that if you discard everything, all these other distractions, that you would then focus on what you ought to be doing, which is running, Right? Training and running, running with all your might toward the goal. The word that the author uses in reference to the race that we're to run, in, in the Greek the word is agonos, from which we get our word agony. Right. So he's saying dedicate yourself to the agony of the race. In other words, he's implying, the word always implies in the Greek, some aspect of a struggle, some aspect in which great energy and determination and courage are required. It's not something that you're just going to say, yeah, I think I'll go running today. <laughs> but rather, it's a fight. It's an ongoing training. It's an ongoing struggle to make progress. You can't do it half-heartedly. You can't do it lapsadaisically. You have to do it with great courage and determination. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul tells his disciple, Timothy, he says, fight the good fight. Again, the word in the Greek is agony. Fight the good agony of the faith. 
So we, we can't delude ourselves into thinking that this is something that is going to come easy to us. Running with Christ is not easy. It is hard work. It's hard decisions that have to be made regularly that we can keep our eyes upon Christ. It's a fight. It's a battle. It's a contest. It's not something that's going to happen on Mac. We have to run. We have to discipline ourselves to run. In our, in our final hymn today that we'll sing later on, uh, it's actually we as a congregation are, are singing to ourselves for much of the song. We're sort of seeking to encourage one another to run and to put all our might into running. And the, the, the title of the hymn, the first uh, line of the hymn goes this way. It says, Awake my soul, stretch every nerve, and press with vigor on. A heavenly race demands thy zeal and an immortal crown. A stretching a zeal, a vigor, great determination, great perseverance is required. And that's really the second part of that, is that, that we're to run with perseverance. The Christian race is not a sprint. It's much more like a marathon. It's something that has to be endured for a long period of time. So where was I going when I had Mark read the passage in First Corinthians, First Kings chapter 18 and 19? You'll see that at least two times, Elijah's on the run. The first time, by the power of the Spirit, he's running faster than Ahab's chariot, right? Clearly, he's got his eyes on the prize, and he's running. He's running with great confidence and great faith. The second time he's running, he's running in his flesh, and he's running in fear. He's scared of Jezebel. He's not walking by faith. And where does he end up running to? He ends up running to Beersheba. He goes underneath a tree. He's utterly exhausted and basically says, I want to die. Take my life now. I can't tell you how many times the Christian life is like that, is it not? You've got those moments where it's really easy to run, and then there's other moments where you're like, <laughs> I got no energy left whatsoever. But nevertheless, no matter how Shaken, you become no matter. Weary, you've come. The, the, if you are a child of God, you still get up and you try to run again. Doesn't matter how many times you've fallen down. You pick up, you run again, and the Lord will come and encourage you just as he did with Elijah and sustain you and confirm your faith in that way. What the Apostle Paul is saying at the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says it very plainly. After telling Timothy to fight the good fight, he says this at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The way the, the author of Hebrews puts it, that we must persevere in the course that has been laid out for us. We don't design our own course. <laughs> I, I get on the treadmill regularly now. I'm trying to lose weight. And they have these options of the courses you can pick. Easy option. Why would you not do the easy one? They have the ones that go up, 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 you know, kind of thing. But why would you choose that? I don't get to choose the course that I'm running. And that's a big part of faith, right? God has chosen a course for each of us, and, and none of ours looks the same. In some cases, our, our course includes cancer. And we don't want to endure that. In some ways, that course might include some aspect of persecution, which seemingly is coming in, in every direction. Some cases, we might lose our job for the sake of Christ. Others, we might lose our spouse. 
Sometimes we're praised for our running. Sometimes we're mocked for it. Sometimes we're loved and sometimes we're hated. But either way, God has laid out that course for us over the hills, through the valleys, and says, continue running. Persevere in the race. The hard part is we always want to compare our race to someone else's. <laughs> doesn't work that way. God has a different race for you than he has for your neighbor, your brother, and the Lord. Remember what he said to, to Peter after Peter was like, uh, what about John? He says, it doesn't matter. Uh, that, that's none of your business. I have a different course for him, a different plan for him. You keep running, regardless of what that course entails for you. If we're to compare our race with anyone's, we need to compare our race to Christ. And that leads us to the third point. To regard Jesus as our example, as well as our founder and perfecter in the faith. In every race, we know it's important not to look backward. You always see that in the, those clips of the runner turns back and he loses the race. You never look back. You always look forward. Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's always looking forward to the prize. But I don't know about you, but oftentimes uh, it's hard to see the finish line. It's hard to see the prize. You lose sight of that very quickly. And it can become discouraging, especially when you're exhausted and you're in pain and, and things aren't going your way. Uh, therefore, the writer of Hebrews tells us not just to look to the prize, but also, he says, to keep your eyes on Christ the whole time. Or else you'll, you'll, you'll stumble and you may not make your way. He says, look to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Just look and consider how much he suffered. And in the midst of his suffering, what is he looking to? The entire time, he's constantly looking to the joy of the glory that comes afterwards. In fact, if you think about it, if you go back through John 15 through 17, all of this is the night before he's crucified. Five times in the midst of his suffering and impending suffering, he's talking about joy. And he, he keeps telling them that he wants them to know the joy that he has. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's saying this right as he's about to go to the cross. He's not talking about suffering. He's talking about joy. He's looked past the suffering to the joy. Even in this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in John 17, he prays to the Father. He said that, that, that these, my, the people you've given me, that they might have joy in themselves that you've given me. He wants them to know that joy. So there's something about, the, as Jesus is our example, notice how he's running. He's not running in fear. He's running to Jerusalem. He tells the disciples three times that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer and to die, to be turned over to the, the authorities, to be crucified. But he also says at the end of every one of those, and then to be raised again on the third day. He's constantly focusing on the glory that is to come. He doesn't just focus on the suffering. If we just look at the suffering, in the midst of our race, we'll quit. He's constantly looking past that to the future glory that he would receive. In the same way, it says he despised the shame of the cross. Now, that doesn't mean in the sense that he, he hated the shame. Uh, literally, what it means in the Greek is that he thought so little of it that it was of no account to him. In other words, he thought so much of the joy of the glory that was to be received that the suffering wasn't even something he was thinking about. 
He says, run in that way. If you want to compare a race, look at his race and see what he did and see if that motivates you. He says, verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In this case, the word consider, uh, as it's used in the Greek, is the idea of sort of um, reckoning, accounting. It's a mathematical term uh, of the idea of weighing very carefully Christ's sufferings, every aspect of his sufferings that you can compare when you're suffering. Does it compare to his? (laughs) If he was able to endure, can we endure with the strength that he gives to us? We're, We're not just to consider these things, though, as not just considering Jesus as our example, but also always to remember that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And in the uh, ESV, it says the founder of our faith. Um, in this case, uh, the, the, the Greek that he uses in reference to Jesus being this uh, author and perfecter In the previous chapter, if you remember, um, Moses turned away from the riches of Egypt in order to look to the reward that he was to receive. It's the same type of verb that's used in the Greek in reference to looking to Jesus. In this case, what he's saying is, he's not just saying look to Jesus. He's saying look away from everything else. And that's why some of your translations will say, and fix your eyes on Jesus. So in other words, it's a very strong verb that says, don't look at anything else. Just look at him. Only look at Christ. And that is the only thing that will sustain you as you run in your race. If you look at anything else, you won't endure. It's as the psalmist says in Psalm 119, turn my eyes away from looking at worthless things, that I might look at what is life-giving, the very Word of God. In the same way, we're called to turn our eyes away from everything else and only look to Jesus, to love Jesus, to worship Jesus, to follow Jesus. And then we will have strength to run our race. He is the founder of our race, the founder of our faith. In other words, if Jesus would not have saved us, we never would be running this race in the first place. So uh, previously in Hebrews, they'd already called him the founder of our salvation. Now he's calling him the founder of our faith. So he is what has given us faith in the first place. So if we remember that, that he is the one who has given us this, then we'll look to him for that source of strength, that source of endurance, because he's not only the founder of the faith, he's also the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who strengthens it. He is the one who brings it to maturity. He is the one who causes our faith to be preserved when we are at the end of our rope and have no hope of continuing on. Uh, even, even in the book of Revelation, when the Christians are in the midst of the greatest suffering that they've experienced thus far, that's when Jesus reminds them, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and perfecter. I started it in you. I'm going to finish it in you. If you don't remember that and you think it's all dependent upon you, then certainly you're going to, stumble and you're going to fall and you're going to be discouraged and you're going to want to quit. But he says, look to Jesus in this way so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It's interesting. You have to keep a balance between two things here. Um, uh, You have to keep a balance between resting in Christ and running with Christ. In other words, uh, uh, 
the hymn that we sang earlier this morning, I, I purposely was trying to show two, two sides of the coin here. The first hymn we sang was, Jesus, I am resting, resting. The last hymn that we're going to sing is, Arise and stretch forth every nerve and run with zeal. All of this is work that you have to do. In other words, if I only give you the second hymn and just say, you know what, guys, here's my sermon for today. Just run. Just run hard. Go do it. Amen. And you're like, yeah. And then as soon as you get out here, you fall on your face on the sidewalk, and you're like, whatever, that pastor's an idiot. If I don't also point you to Christ and say, you have to rest in His perfect race. You have to put your faith in the fact that He's already finished the race on your behalf. Has already given you His righteous record, His perfect record. You're trusting in that, and that's what motivates you to run. His love for you, His finished work on your behalf, His salvation for you. That is what helps you to run. I'm not running to earn my salvation, folks. I'm not, earning, I'm not running to gain something from God. I've already gotten everything He could give to me. I'm running because I'm saved. And because I want to run into the arms of my Savior. Not because I have to get anything from Him. It's already given. We have to remember that. He's our example. He's the founder of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. If we don't look to Him, the author is suggesting that we will eventually run out of steam and we will faint from exhaustion because we can't keep up the pace. We can't. We'll get discouraged and we'll eventually want to quit just like Elijah did because we can't do it in our own strength. We have to do it in the strength of Christ. On the other hand, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, even if we stumble and fall many, many times, we will have the courage to get back up and say, so be it. I'm going to run again. I'm still running because this is what Christ has called me to. And I'm going to finish this race. It's going to happen because I'm saved. You see, not because I'm trying to get saved, because I am saved. I'm going to run. I'll give you an example. Back in the year 1981, Bill Broadhurst was a very unlikely contestant to finish the Pepsi Challenge which is a race, a 10,000-meter race in Omaha, Nebraska. For those of you who aren't big fans of the metric system, a 10K is about 6.2 miles. So not quite so long as the marathon race. But this man, Bill Broadhurst, uh, had had an aneurysm in his brain a, a few years prior, which left, left him paralyzed on one side completely. For him, six miles seemed like an eternity. Nevertheless, on a very misty morning, strangely enough, in July, Bill stood alongside 1,200 very healthy men and women ready to run the race. When he stood at the starting line, the gun finally sounded, the crowd of runners took off, and then you could see Bill slowly lift up one leg and then walk another one, and then lift up another leg and walk another one. And you could hear the over and over again because all the other runners were gone. He was all by himself. The crowd's watching him slowly but surely move forward. Within minutes, he's sweating profusely. As you can imagine, his left ankle is in excruciating pain, and yet he moves forward. Now, some of the better runners completed the race in about 30 minutes. That's about the average for a good runner. 
uh, for six miles. But two hours and 29 minutes later, Bill finally reached the finish line. Where a man approached him from the crowd, uh, exhausted, Bill could still recognize who the man was. A famous runner, also named Bill, his name is Bill Rogers, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, when he finally crossed the finish line, Bill Rogers had won the race that day. Uh, and Bill took off his medal and put it on the other Bill, sharing his glory with him. I think in many ways, when our race on earth is finished, it will be very similar to that. Um, we don't run to become number one. <laughs> uh, we, we run because the number one runner has called us to follow in his footsteps. And he wants to share his glory with us. He wants to share his joy with us. He wants to share his reward with us. All he asks us to do is to run. Run with perseverance. Run by faith in his name. No matter how ugly it looks, no matter how slow you are, you continue to run. And you run because you love Christ. That's it. And because Christ has saved you. And you will endure to the end. He's promised you that. The Spirit has started this in you. He's going to finish this in you. But you've got to keep running. And that's the test. That's really the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. There are plenty of people who start off well in the church, will make a profession of faith, but yet they quit running. They never knew salvation in Christ Jesus. It's only those who keep running and who keep laying aside those things that are distracting, continue to focus on who, who their Savior is and what He has done for them and how He is their salvation. They're the ones who finish the race. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we ask that You would help us all to understand this morning again the Gospel clearly of all that Christ has accomplished on the cross, then indeed it is all finished. He has done all the work that could ever be done to make a way for us to enter into heaven. He has taken our sin fully upon his shoulders and has given us his perfect righteous record before you, O oh, Father. We pray that as we trust in his name, as we rest in his completed work, may we also run with the power that he provides that we might know the courage and the joy of the Lord as we move forward in the Christian walk, and the Christian race. Lord, help us by the Spirit, we pray. Lord, help us to run, to run for Christ. We ask in Jesus.